Welcome to Indefinable Magic. Normally a pre-written monologue full of thoughts and observations about a particular aspect of the television series Doctor Who. This time though, we've gone for something slightly different, for reasons that will hopefully become apparent and will definitely be over-explained. Tonight's episode, Race and Time. Presented by me, Toby Haydoke, with a special guest, Tom Atta. Hello everybody, thank you for listening. Regular punters will know that indefinable magic is usually a monologue, conceived to examine in a way that is hopefully interesting, thought-provoking and mildly amusing at times, or I hope, some particular aspect of the television series Doctor Who. The announcement of Shuti Gatwa's casting as the Doctor, and the various reactions to it in different corners of the media, both mainstream and social, prompted me to examine race and representation in Doctor Who over the years, right up to the current state of play, which has culminated in the very first time the series' lead actor has been a person of colour. It's a complex, divisive issue, and one that even when laying out the groundwork for the approach and subject matter of a humble podcast discussing it, requires careful phraseology and contextualising subclauses. Discussion these days is often a bad-faith minefield where identity and semantics can be weaponized by both sides in order to divert us from discussing the complexities like grown-ups. Which all then requires me to indulge in a turgid series of justifications and qualifications uh, that's what all this is, by the way, in order to head off any anticipated criticisms of what I'm about to do, such as life in the 21st century. What I'm not about to do is a monologue. I tried writing one. It had some good jokes in it, at the expense of the idea that the casting of a BAFTA nominee as the chameleon-like face-changing alien hero of time and space is evidence that somehow the liberal, and to use the descriptor de jour, woke elite, has somehow ruined Doctor Who with the application of some kind of agenda. But I also tried to contextualise this to examine the idea that our modern-day difficulties with the paucity of representation in, say, old stories from classic Doctor Who, are too often steeped in a lack of context themselves, and a worrying desire on the modern-day commentator to scold the past for indiscretions in a way that would make Judge Danforth in Arthur Miller's The Crucible seem like a paragon of equivocation. But bringing nuance to discussions these days, well, it's a risky business. And yet, I too have to be open to the idea that me, a middle-aged, middle-class white guy, extemporising for an hour about race relations in the United Kingdom right now, well, I might not be the best qualified to take centre stage, even in my own podcast. So even though I know I come from a liberal, well-meaning perspective, as a voter, I would vote for a candidate who is not racist, or, even better, actively anti-racist. When I was younger, we didn't buy South African produce as a protest against apartheid. And to coin a cliché, some of my best friends are black. However, I might still have inbuilt prejudices, or misconceptions, or I might adopt positions actually based on ignorance. 
and all of that might well need examining. But also, much as I dislike racism, I'm acutely aware that in our current discourse, accusations of racism against others are sometimes flung out glibly, dishonestly or inaccurately. Now, do I think that is worse than racism itself? Maybe not. Do I think it helps? Definitely not. And in a discussion like this, uncomfortable truths need airing. And because this is a discussion involving just two people, Muggins here is the airer, the messenger. And you all hopefully know how wrong it is to shoot that guy. And this is what this is. It's an examination, a discussion, a forum of ideas. I'm taking the role of the question master. I will often play devil's advocate. Even if I personalise some of the questions, or I say, I think, it may not be exactly what I think, but it's a way of making the discussion human, organic, flowing. I say all of this because the least interesting response to this podcast will be people getting back to me saying, ah, well, you only asked that because this, that or the other about me. Or you would say that because this, that or the other about me. Or, hang on, here is the least generous interpretation I can make of a minor piece of phraseology that you have framed a particular section of a particular argument in, and I shall now proceed to railroad you with that forever. Because hopefully I'm the least interesting part of anything that happens in this broadcast. I'm honestly and openly trying to get understanding, to offer perspective, and to sometimes challenge. I have a guest who is obviously more clued up on some of these issues, all of these issues, than I. But to get to the truth, I have a duty to sometimes push back, to postulate and to challenge. I don't do that with what Toby Haydoke thinks. And to be honest, sometimes even I am not sure what Toby Haydoke thinks. And sometimes Toby Haydoke thinks on a Tuesday something very different to what Toby Haydoke thinks on a Wednesday. No, I do it because in an increasingly fractured, binary and sometimes toxic environment for debate, my preference is for adult conversations based on ideas, theories and the batting forth of thoughts and arguments in a sober, non-judgmental way, crucially held in good faith by all parties, including the listener, in order to negotiate our way through something important, but perhaps impossible to quantify or measure. Worth talking about, though. And with that in mind, let's meet someone who is going to guide us through this tricky landscape, which we are negotiating, he and I, with mutual respect and a generosity of spirit. And so, please bestow yours upon us. I think to begin, I have to ask you to introduce yourself and tell me all about yourself. <laughs> okay, terrific. Okay. So, yes, my name is Tom Atter. My official title is Professor Tom Atter. Um, I'm a, a, music, a popular music academic. I work in the north of England. Um, and I've been a Doctor Who fan since, I'd say, 1970. You can correct me here, 1977. Um, because the first memory I've got is the nesting into uh, the nesting consciousness materializing as a giant prawn. <laughs> now, I've, now I've been back since and backfilled all of that, but my first real time memory was watching um, that bit of the invisible. Ah, uh, oh, the the, nu- the nucleus, not the nesting. Yes, the nu- the the. Sorry, the nucleus of the swarm. Well, how funny, Tom, because 
The Invisible Enemy is also my first memory of Doctor Who. Isn't that an amusing <laughs> coincidence? Well, we're the right people to be having this conversation. I should also say, because it may not be obvious from my voice, that I'm also um, I'm also black. I'm a man of colour. Um, and so, you know, part of my engagement with Doctor Who is not defined by that, but there's an, but that's, it's, it's part of who I am. It's part of my identity. So it's... Um, it's it, I, even when I was younger, I remember thinking, oh, there's a curly-haired guy called Tom, i.e. Tom Baker, who is Doctor Who. And in the way that a child would confuse those things, you know, that was just that seemed to be um, something I was very fond of and something I gravitated towards. So that's very, that's very helpful for us that we've had the same sort of chronological factors uh, affecting our, uh, our digestion of Doctor Who. So we are, we are talking today... Uh, in the wake of, I mean, I suppose it started off, didn't it, in the in the wake of Shooty Gatwa's casting and conversations that that uh, were prompted by that event uh, to talk about race and representation in Doctor Who was, I think, was the was the all encompassing uh, 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 <laughs> sort of head heading we wanted to give that. So, how how do we couch this? What what are we talking about when we talk about representation, and why are we why are we having this conversation, Tom? Okay, uh, to me, we're having the conversation because Shuti Gatwa has been cast as as the Doctor. So this is a hugely high profile character. It's it's it, it, you know the Doctor is, I would say, at the centre of, but definitely is definitely a part of culture in the modern day, and to see. Um, a man of colour cast for the first time, a uh, man of colour cast for the first time as the Doctor, which of course, you know, let's not forget um, the Fugitive Doctor. That's not <laughs> as well. Mm. Um, but to see um, Shuti Gatwa occupying the central role is a matter, I think, of some significance, or at least I regard it as a matter of some significance. And it seems to be something that um, commentators have, uh, re- have have spoken about. Um, and so it's a, I think it's a wonderful opportunity to talk about the way that um, race, and we'll go on to define race, and representation have played a part in this amazing, wonderful show that we know that, that certainly you and I are so fond of. Um, because it seems that um, certainly until the casting of Jodie Whittaker, there were very good, the casting of the Central World was actually quite consistent from a certain point of view. Um, and when we see Jodie, um, we see the first female um, actor playing Doctor Who, and now we see Shooty. I think, as I've expl- expressed to you before, I, I was ecstatic about this because although I've always known I was the Doctor in a certain way, to see the Doctor looking like me is just amazing. Um, and I think you know one of the things I mentioned uh, in that in that first conversation was that there's been a lot of commentary, but I've not heard any complaints from any black people about this at all. <laughs> Part of and I'll probably mention this in the introduction, which in a timey-wimey way I haven't read yet because we were going to discuss mm. this before before I did. And obviously there's lots of contextualization and nuance that needs to be fed into this so that we are digested in good faith. We're definitely having a conversation in good faith. Oh, yeah. But were you surprised either presently or not by the actual reaction to, to the news? One of the elements of being uh, of being a person of colour in the United Kingdom is that there can be few um, surprises, sometimes to, to some quite extreme reactions from people. Um, but I'm also part of a multicultural society, and I'm an arts, you know, I'm an arts professor, and so generally my experience of issues of race and gender and sexuality 
is that the young, or at least the people who I'm lucky enough to come into contact with, are working through these issues as just part of it's part of life. They, you know, they, I, whilst I can't say that anyone is ever truly cut off, we all aspire to be colorblind. We always all aspire to be um, to take people as we find them. There's a challenge to doing that in society, and um, what I found was yes, that the responses that I saw were as I had expected. Oh, great, great news! And they were all sent. The, the, the positive responses are all and can only be centered around this is the right actor for the job. And you know the cast. You know the casting of the Doctor is always about that. This is the right actor for this particular role. Um, and my and I'm slightly disappointed to see that um, there are some people who take issue with the fact that Shuti Katwar is a man of color. But again, it's this is what Doctor Who is for. You know, if we look at Shuti Katwar's, maybe I'm getting a bit too far, a bit too deep. But if we look at his background, here's a here's a man from Rwanda who fled who fled Rwanda, made success for himself in Scotland, and has now risen to be to, to one of the most high profile roles in society in media. Um, and he joins a number of um, brown-skinned people in high visibility positions at this point, um, which, which, in my mind, emphasise the diversity and value and beauty of our current society. But that was always the but that that diversity uh, and that beauty and that power was always a central tenant of Doctor Who's storytelling. Maybe not necessarily in the execution, which we can go on to talk about, but the central, to me, the central part of, uh, the central message in Doctor Who was, yeah, we're all different, but we're all pulling in the same direction. Um, we will all be given a chance, and only at the point that you prove that you do not, <laughs> that you are somehow evil, or you do not have the other's best interests at heart, will anger and containment come into come into play otherwise aside from that there are no men there are no women there are there are no different sexualities there are just people and there are just experiences of the world um and again given that basis for what to do, for what i believe doctor who is to have that um to have um someone like shooty gatwick as as the central character and an, and an aspirational character as well for um for viewers of the show is just a victory. I think I said to you before that um, you know my own reaction to this was almost was, was I just wept. It's wonderful. I was like, oh my god, the Doctor looks like me, and not only does he look like me, or not only do they look like me, because you know that's you know, that's the truth of it now. And not only did, does the Doctor look like me, they look like so many other black people, black men, black women who can see that a Time Lord, <laughs> um, you know, one of the most powerful beings in the world, looks like you. You can do this. <laughs> So, and uh, the, I will probably drop in constant reminders that when I ask you a question, and I will be occasionally pushing back because I don't want this to be, you know, even though we, mm. uh, you know, we've discussed this prior and are on the same wavelength, what I think is not important mm. in this discussion, I am hopefully a facilitator of ideas and, um, and, and hopefully I I'm making us not just, I, I think it's very easy to demonise the people who might disagree with your view mm. tom and i and i have to sort of push back with us trying to work out where some of those attitudes come from without just saying anyone that disagrees with you is is a bad person say no. <laughs> um so i i will be throwing in questions that as i say are not necessarily my point of view it's called playing devil's advocate we were allowed to do it in <laughs> the old it's days and i'm wanting it to come back into <laughs> in, 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 in in into uh into in, into discussion so mm. if if you 
now saying that uh, having a, a black actor playing Doctor Who means that you have someone to identify with. Are you sympathetic with the idea of, I mean, Peter Davison, for example, was hounded off Twitter mm. when he lamented upon the casting of a female Doctor that um, young men had lost a role model. Is it, is, is if you can you can sort of claim a doctor as your own because there is a, an element of identification mm. with it. Is, does, does that not work both ways and that people who had previously identified lose that identification? Where does the colour blindness come in, if that makes sense? Uh, that's a sense? great question. Well, I think uh, if we accept the premise of... of okay, so let, we, have to, we have to be very clear that Doctor Who is not a documentary. It's a fantasy TV show. Um, it's a great fantasy TV show. Um, if we accept the premise of Doctor Who, then we accept that the central character will and must change um, as a response to environmental stresses. But that person must change, um, as we must all over the course of our lives. And if you identify with the, as I mentioned before, that my first identification was with, was with Tom Baker. Now that could be for a number of reasons. That in, you know, number one, there weren't that many black faces on TV in the in the mid nineteen seventies. Um, but I had no problem identifying with this person in terms of who they were they were in contact as the doctor. Um, I do feel for Peter Davison because I see what he was saying. There's a bot although it's a simple statement that he's making, there's a lot of nuance to it. Um he's not you know, but he himself knows that in time that character will change again. And perhaps you know, if, if we're saying that oh, well, a man who or a person who we perceive as formerly old can actually become young someone that we perceive as male can become female someone is someone that comes from us from one particular and frankly unchanging genetic background for the last 60 years can also change then i don't see where uh, the the problem is there's not really a problem there um, if we accept that, okay, but once Doctor Who was Patrick Troutman, then he was Tom Baker then he was Sylvester McCoy then he was Jodie Whittaker now he's Suti Gatwa then then you if, if you don't like this is one of the joys of doctor who if you don't particularly like any version of the show what you've got to do is wait for the next one to come along and jump on again um yeah well if the if the dex doctor's not a, a balding man with an increasing waistline that he can't tackle i'm calling foul on this tom you because you because you've beaten me to it frankly uh, <laughs> well yes let, let, please let the doctor uh, well it could be argued um, that the doctor for a for a lot for the longest time was a middle was a middle aged middle class white man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's all where you break it down. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And and it's also worth saying that one of the things that draws me to to, to conversations like this is because as the partner of a disabled person, mm. I uh, you know I I probably thought we'd advanced very far. Uh, in terms of disability representation and our treatment of disabled people in society oh. until you spend some time with somebody who is. Oh. And then you go, oh, the still must do. Uh, talking to female friends sometimes when you think of, of all the great oh. strides that are made in that and then discovering some of the everyday, uh, um, you know, the, for example, I don't know a woman that hasn't been sent a, a number of dick pics for example yeah. which i just find an you know an extra, that is something that we don't talk about mm. uh, and yet is something that seems to me such an extraordinary and astonishing thing but that is obviously not part of my experience mm. and only when you sort of actively ask those questions do you discover some of this stuff so of course i may pat myself on the back that i live in 21st century great britain where uh, people of color are represented much mm. more and clearly have 
far more opportunities than they once had. But I don't live as a person of colour in in England, in Great Britain in 2023. Mm. And, and so you must therefore tell me perhaps some of the things that I don't, that, that aren't readily apparent to me as, as a person that doesn't experience that life. Okay, that's, an, that's a really, again, that's really interesting. So there, there, there's this, there is a suggestion that um, any, I, I, was, I was looking at the um, Race Against Time mini documentary on the Mutants DVD. And there's a comment in there that says any uh, organization which is, which is uh, founded by men ret retains a male outlook. And so any, if you're not male or if, if you're not white, if you're not male, then the organization is going to function in the favor of the people who founded it, you know, we, we, we can, you know, which is an arguable, an, an arguable point, but we don't have to look to a very, you know, we only have to perhaps look across the Atlantic to see what the truth of that may or may not be. Um, so yeah, I, I, my experience has been that as a black child and Others have others that I've met have confirmed this, so I'd be interested to hear what others think. So yeah, one of the things that certainly I was told uh, as a child growing up in the seventies and eighties, um, and this is confirmed by other people who I've spoken to about this, is that you know uh, as a black child I was told, listen, you're always going to have to run a bit faster, you're always going to have to jump a bit higher, and you're always going to have to work a bit harder because you've got your you have, you have this color working against you this is something said was something said to me by parents who loved me and cared about me and wanted me to have a good life and a good future um when i've spoken to other people of color they've broadly confirmed that that's the truth you know we've got you've got to work a bit harder you've got to you know you've, you've got to work a bit harder you've got to jump a bit higher um because you are this is although this is your home um there are those who will who will seek to to use your difference against you um, or you know, perhaps perhaps you might have to work slightly. And we and we and we still see some of this in um, uh, in society, where you know, where if you if you have a name, if you have a certain type of name, then you might find it hard to access um, things like bank loans, credit, um, t uh, mortgages, uh, uh, even renting a house, rentals, and so on and so on. These these are not my opinions; these are matters of fact. Um, what I do, uh, but then again, uh, not you know, Doctor Who helps to emphasize this character trait in me which is to say there is always hope there is there can only be progress which we know which in which direction we progress is always up for up for um debate but there can only be progress from the starting point this is why um i i'm pleased to work with the young and to work in education because again all of our potential is there you know the, these young people will become older <laughs> uh, they will become the people who run the country and live the lives of the British and live the lives of of, uh, of human beings on planet Earth while we, while we're still here. And so, yeah, the, the experience of being black is maybe it, it, it's been described as um, okay, it, it's a it's a kind of se of secondary self awareness um, in the in the best times, um, and this is the majority of the times. And there's no awareness. To it. I don't wake up every morning and think I'm black. I think I wake up in the morning and think, oh, God, is that the time? And it's time, and it's time to go. But there, there are situations where I have to be aware that actually I am black. I am. I do. I, I do look different to these people. Um, and I've made, to be honest with you, I've made a feature of it, which is to say, um, fine, I'll go and do performance. Yes, I admit that performance, musical performance, like sports performance, is something which is 
traditionally held up as being one of, uh, of, of being a person of color's roots towards a, towards cultural acceptance, but it's the love of music and it's the love of teaching that's drawn me into these, into these environments. Um, and I'm pleased to say that I've had comments from some of my students who say it's so, even now, it is unusual to see a black person teaching on a course like this. Um, but not only teaching, but actually running the whole course. This is unusual. Um, and so one of the great conceits of humanity is that, you know, our lifetimes are expansive. They're not, they're very, very short. Um, and to be aware of these ideas being expressed by the young, and when I say young, I mean undergraduates, so, you know, 18 to, 18 to 25, generally, um, to see these ideas being expressed by the young and better, th better than that, to see them um, playing with these ideas and working through them because they recognize that there is still work to do. Um, you know, as you mentioned about your partner, it's, you know, the, the situation for the disabled is different to what it was 40 years ago. Is it ideal? No. Is there work to do? Yes. And so similarly with, and, 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 and let's not get too far away from Doctor Who, um, is the situation for black people in the world at this point ideal? No. Is it better than it was? Arguably. Have we still got work to do? Yes. How do we do that work? Um, I'm a teacher, so my view is that we do that work in the minds of the young. Um, you know, we, you know, we 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 present the, a situation and we say, okay, play with this. This is what you're inheriting. Well, and before we go, and we're going to do that in some detail to examine, you know, historical representation, starting with classic who, as you mentioned, the young. I will invoke them too, but from the sort of the other perception is that, and mm. I have two, I have an 18-year-old and a 22-year-old and find them very instructive and have actually um, shaken off a lot of our preoccupations rather easily because they mix with mm. more um, uh, children from diverse backgrounds, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, yeah, at school. absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm from Ludlow, Tom, and when I was growing up, there was one black man in Ludlow and he was called Black Terry. And uh, uh, <laughs> well, that's okay, that, and that's it. <laughs> there and it is. My mother, who's a very progressive and liberal person, I remember telling my brother off for referring to Black Terry as Black Terry because she said that is divisive, that is othering, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the phone rang one day, mm -hmm. and I answered it. And somebody said, "Can I speak to Patrick, please?" And I said, "Yes." Can I tell him who's calling? And he said, "Yes, it's Black Terry here." So even Black Terry yeah. referred to himself as Black Terry. So yeah, you know, things things change and things. Uh, sometimes by osmosis but the 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 issue with the young which i find interesting especially in terms of looking at classic who as we're going to is often the tenor of the conversation is is one that couches everything that went before us as wrong and as racist yeah. uh, and mm. you couch this you used a very interesting phrase when we were sort of we've you know we've talked about this and we've planned this quite carefully you you wanted to discuss relativism when we're when we're looking at this issue because yeah. that that brings in nuance and context which is often lost i would argue in these conversations and the young are not immune to this by any stretch of the imagination is that fair to say i think it's very fair to say one of the elements of, of being younger and growing up i mean i'm saying youth is a relative term i mean i'm 50 now so everyone's younger <laughs> than me um is you know there's a very tribalistic there's a very tribal element to how we operate in society and there's a very tribal element to being young as well um which is to, which is to say that we this is a matter of emotion of, uh, of emotional psychology and uh, emotional psychology which is to say um 
over over many over many 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 years and generations we've learned how to behave as a group as a pack to involve to um uh, to ensure our survival and propagation however um certain needs have evolved out of the species so you know the, the need to go and kill a mammoth is no longer there um and apologies to any paleontologists who say humans and mammoths didn't coexist i'm really sorry <laughs> i don't know um but the but the mammoth becomes figurative um and uh, becomes metaphorical and there is still the need to form a family the need to form a tribe in order in order to operate and, and survive in society we are social animals in that respect um but what I notice is that the young or younger people, or and you can be young whilst you're 70, you know, you can have a young outlook, um, are less willing to defer to, um, I won't say arbitrary, but the case in the case of Fraser is almost arbitrary, um, tribal uh, to refer to arbitrary tribal markings as being absolute. As I say, you know, the, the number I'm so pleased to see um, the number of trans. I, mean, I do wonder about about getting too close to virtue signaling and being uh, in, in in a particular way, but I am really just being honest. Um, I'm really pleased to see, um, certainly on my own course, the number of trans students increasing um, because they're not trans change. We all change. We can all, you know, we all embrace our identity, and to see. People with a kind, you know, we talk about courage, the courage to come forward, the courage to be who you are. Then, okay, the, to me, these are wonderful things. I do feel rather that I've lost the, the thread of your original question a little. Uh, well, we're talking about about relativism, which is, I guess, the con the context oh, in which you. this these events happen. Yeah. So we need to get the definition in here. So relativism, cultural relativism, moral relativism, all comes all come to a similar place, which is to say, it is a mistake, or at least. The, the debate is, are we able to judge the past by the standards of the present? Um, and in the, by the same token, are we willing to be judged by uh, in the future by their rules as opposed to what we do now? So to take a John Pertwee example, if in 50 years time we are completely divested of the need to use fossil, flu fossil fuels, um, are we comfortable with being thought of as dirty and intractable by people for 100 years in the future? And the answer is going to be, of course, the answer is, well, some people will always be willing to, to stand up to that, but we have to understand that we're making the decisions that we make now based on who we are at this particular point. So it, it, it's, it's difficult. If you remove relativism or moral relativism or cultural relativism from the table in terms of how to explain things, then it's really quite frightening because there's nothing else to there's almost nothing else to go with. Um, and the only thing that, that surfaced, again, having had these discussions with multiple academics, the only thing that they all they all agree is, it, it, in answer to the question, if we abandon moral and cultural relativism, what are we left with as psychological and, and philosophical tools with which to engage the world? <laughs> Philosophers say all of philosophy, um, but everyone else says compassion. You know, it, how would you treat? How do you treat someone who feels differently to you, who operates differently to you? Um, do you stand there and berate them and say you are wrong? You are completely it's inappropriate to do this, or do you ask them why they made these decisions? And do you listen with compassion and say, well, okay, well, we're not doing, we don't do that now because we, you know we, things have moved on, and now we treat people in this way. Um, it's possible to look at the history of the United Kingdom for the last three hundred years and things which were normal at one point and now absolutely not acceptable in any way shape or form but we have to recognize that that is a matter of progress 
Um, if 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 I ask someone from sixteen fifties from the sixteen fifties, why do you do what you do? They will give me very clear reasons why they why they operate in this particular way. Um, you know, we can and we can take issue with that. We can take issue with the morality of some of, of some things that were done. We can take issue with any an easy goal, capital punishment. That was something that was for hundreds of years, thousands of years, was a and it's and it is still now in some societies a feature of human society. But we have got to the point where we don't accept that anymore. We see that it's a very flawed way of dealing with people. Um, and when occasionally voices are raised, it seems to me when voices are raised in favour of capital punishment, then they are, we listen respectfully because we've learned to listen. But ultimately we say, I don't think this is the way forward. And it takes a lot of compassion and a lot of courage to say that. Um, so bringing it back to Doctor Who, yes, it, it's possible to, and this is the bit I've been looking forward to, it's possible to look at classic Who and see, and to say, yeah, there's a lot of white people here. There's not a lot of diversity going on here. There's an awful lot of um, white British middle-class values being being um, transported on, being projected onto this this central figure who can go anywhere in space and time. And of course, it could be argued that the ability to move through space and time unencumbered is a feature of the white male experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also possible to look at Doctor Who as being a um, a colonialist fable. Um, here comes here comes the slightly odd professor man into these less developed societies, sprays them with his with uh, with his uh, with his moral, morality and virtue, makes the judgment, then gets in the box and goes again. Mm. But. The reality of it is, as I mentioned, it's not a documentary, it's a TV show. And and we need to look slightly deeper to get a sense of what is actually happening in Doctor Who. How do we recognise diversity in this particular show? Now, I'm not being an apologist for the fact that it is unashamedly unashamedly white. Um, For Certainly for the first, uh, first 20 years, it's very white, it's Doctor Who. But... In that, we can if if we look a little bit deeper, we look and see well who who directed that first mm. show. Okay, who was the producer of that first show? Okay, fair enough. Verity Lambert is female, but twenty seven years old in the middle of doing all this. So, and, and what, what is the what is the general trajectory of Doctor Who overall? It is about acceptance. It is about diversity. It's clumsy and it's slow, but to see the amount of pro- well, okay, okay. So I'm a fan, obviously. Um, <clears throat> To see the amount of distance between a character like uh, Toberman um, or Kemmel, um, in yeah, so, 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 so I should explain. This, this is being listened to by Doctor oh, Who fans. So. So I don't have to explain. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. So so Kemmel um, again. Toby, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't. I think Kemmel was was number one mute. Yes, um, and he ha- and he was. And it's it's possible to write the essay to say okay, so it could be argued that Kemmel represents the black muscle which built the which built which built the country, and there and there is oh I forget her name that wonderful the wonderful actress who was using him like a weapon. Are you Tatoba man? Yeah, so 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 Kaftan named named after the the cloth the apparel um, uses Toberman as as muscle. Yes, he's not he does get a couple of lines, but he's he but but he doesn't say much to be fair. And the unfortunate thing with both of those characters, the reason you got them confused, you have a mute black muscle in Evil of the yeah. Daleks, and you have essentially mute black muscle in Tomb of the Cybermen, which although divided by a season break, are consecutive stories, which when watched. Uh, you know, chronologically, can seem a little, well, shall I say, mm. unfortunate? You can say what you, you can say what you like. It, it, what you've got 
in that in that scenario is you've got um black uh, black actors working on television we can't underestimate the power of that um because as you know certainly in the 1960s although there was um a black and when i'm saying black a colored presence um in media it was very it was limited extremely limited um so yeah i mean i think what, what what's confusing me is that both characters as you've identified are very very similar they have a very similar role um in both of the stories you know you are here to move things and to be the threat with which we um that we um, that we present to other people but that's to but that's to miss out um okay you're, i'm deferring to you here um, i'm thinking williams from the 10th planet mm. Um, and I learned last week when I was doing a bit of research for this that Williams, it's, when you know it's it's obvious, Williams was originally written as a Welsh character, mm. but um, there was no reason why he couldn't be Welsh and black. And yeah. when we think about we think about car, we think about Wales, we think about the we think about the um, the coastal regions of Wales, and we think about the coast of um, the coast of Liverpool. Of course, these are communities with lots of black people in there. <laughs> although, although I have to be say, I think that's a slightly fanciful for suggestion in that documentary that because they don't change the dialogue, the inference is that he's he's a Welshman. I think they're going. We've just changed. We've just we've just changed the character to Earl Cameron, who does incidentally get star billing alongside uh, Robert Beatty as well. So it's not like so. Even though he dies in episode two, he is a prominent piece of of casting. It, it, I mean, but let's go right back because I think Marco Polo very oh. interestingly <laughs> throws up a lot of the issues about how we look at this stuff today. And I will couch, you know, your very uh, concise and helpful explanation of relativism in 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 how you know in the relativism of, of how we of 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 our of our sort of preoccupations today, which I think are often a need to um, call out prejudice where we see it, mm. but because we know that it happened, mm -hmm. and and I can be, you know, very cognizant that it shouldn't happen, certainly shouldn't happen now. It probably happened for far too long. Bear in mind that um, in 1981 when something you know less disposable than doctor who the bbc shakespeare and historical project was being done to capture definitive performances of all of the complete works of our national playwright oh. the leading black actor cast in the role of the the major black role in shakespeare's canon othello uh, chosen was anthony hopkins so maybe maybe it was the welsh reclaiming from the <laughs> tenth planet's casting i don't know um but that was in 1981, when you can imagine yeah. that actors like uh, Thomas Baptiste and Rudolf Walker were probably waiting for their phone to call and, mm. you know, right, rightly, uh, you know, um, and, uh, and, appalled at that. Um, oh. But but by the same token, I think, I, I, it, and, and maybe this is because I'm, it, it's something about my, my need to get things right. I am uneasy about the rather casual way that we call something racism when there are all sorts of other factors at play. So let's look at Marco yeah. Polo. Yeah. Marco Polo is directed by an uh, a, a man, uh, an Anglo-Indian director, mm -hmm. um, a, a man of colour. Mm -hmm. What is often missed out in these conversations about Doctor Who is that the, the co-creator of Doctor Who and, the, and the, the driver behind it is Sidney Newman. Yes, Canadian is one thing. He's also Jewish, 
which is uh, <laughs> often an element not brought into these conversations and becomes mm. very important when we look at Marco Polo. Marco Polo used genuine um, Chinese performers in the non in a lot of the non-speaking roles. Mm. That in itself is is quite quite interesting. There's authenticity is therefore seen as important there. It's not seen as important with uh, the the speaking parts, although. Um, Xenia Merton is, uh, is, is certainly, I think, um, half Burmese um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, presents the genuine article and is, is, does not require any makeup or augmentation. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, uh, but then you have the very blonde-haired, blue-eyed uh, Darren Nesbitt as the Mongol warlord Tigana. And then you have, in the supporting cast, you have... Um, Gabor Boraka, who's a Hungarian, Tati Lemko, who is Norwegian, and Martin Miller, who is Czechoslovakian, all mm -hmm. playing the Chinese characters from Kublai Khan to, you know, the, the, the bandit via the way station manager. Now, this is interesting for a number of reasons. They do give a Chinese actor lines. Basil Tang, he's one of the support players. He's one of the supporting artists, an extra, who is given a couple of lines, and he's terrible. Okay. And, that, and that sort of answers the question, well, why didn't they just use some of those supporting artists as actors? Because they're not actors. They're supporting mm. artists. They can be they can they can add authenticity to to the background, but mm -hmm. bring them to the foreground and it and it does bring performance issues, which some might argue is 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 the main concern of any drama is to be a convincing performance. And we have to bear in mind that there was fewer people to choose from and I will go on to talk about this later as well but to provide context for Marco Polo something that is never discussed when we quite rightly sort of talk about our unease about Yellowface mm. is that Tati Lemko, Gabor Baraka and Martin Miller were all Jewish actors who had mm. escaped the Holocaust in Baraka's mm. case on foot having blown wow. up a railway line these are not these are not part of an elite being gifted things that uh, uh, from from a position of comfort, these are all performers welcomed into the generally very welcoming and eclectic theatrical landscape mm. of the United Kingdom, and their casting would then, I would argue, be seen as a progressive move, welcoming mm. foreign nationals into our cultural landscape and giving them the sort of parts. In those days, remember again, we weren't we weren't exposed to different voices and accents as much as we are now. And, and and the fact that you've got a Norwegian and a Czechoslovakian and a Hungarian all basically passing as, in inverted commas, foreign mm -hmm. would actually be enough to qualify them to play Chinese. Bizarre, though, that may seem to us. So what I'm saying is that, yes, it looks in the same way that a special effect looks naive and basic in those times. Mm -hmm. This approach mm -hmm. seems naive and basic and, I'm sure, to some offensive but give it the context of its time. And instead of it being ignorant, it could actually be, in its own terms, a positive force for at least doing something decent, giving people who've escaped from the Holocaust a chance to establish themselves as performers on British television, mm -hmm. even if it's in a way that, that looks a bit odd to us today. Mm -hmm. But that is partially because as well, what I think we sometimes don't talk about when we look at these things, is that we have got where we have got because of the work of these people that went before us. And I, I sometimes think that our, our, the speed at which we point the finger at past transgressions doesn't take into account that if any of us, particularly 
maybe people from my demographic who would be picked up from 2023 and dropped at the BBC in 1964 would mm. not be sitting there at television centre going, no, the first priority of this production is to cast genuine actors of colour in these roles. If Because if, I would argue that anybody from 2023 who casts themselves the hero in that movie is being disingenuous at best and just wrong at worst. Or I to... am I just saying that because I'm a white guy? Um, I, I think I, I, I can't speak to why you're, to why you're saying it. I, just, I, can, I can just I, I can just confirm that I agree with the sentiment. Um, at that point, yes, there are actors, but are they of the, are, are they able of are they capable? You know, so far, we think of people like El Cameron. Okay, there's a there, there's a, a wonderful actor who can absolutely do it. But um, again, you'll know more about this than me, perhaps. But I notice that there's something very hierarchical about acting. In the same way as there is about music, if you've got the right agent who can get you the right jobs, then you're, you're most of the way there. If, on the other hand, you are not from this environment, you don't necessarily have access to those opportunities, then how are you supposed to get that experience? How are you supposed to get that exposure? Uh, and what I'm, and the view I'm taking of this is okay. From as you say, the yellow face of Marco, of Marco Polo, and we can't talk about that uh, without talking about um, the talons of Wang Chang. Um, mm. How do you, yeah, and if we're going to go that far, it ain't half hot, mum. It's it, 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 you know, the, the, the distance between, all right, here is episode 10 of the 10th planet, or here is uh, Carmen Monroe, or here, better than that, here is, um, what was the character name in The Smugglers? Um, actually, uh, Jamaica. Jamaica. <laughs> there you go. So, you know, so the distance between the sort of performance which passed for acceptable in, as Jamaica, which is not to do the actor down, he played the part he was given, to this is now the central role in terms of representation is really important because okay jamaica um the smugglers is a is a is a, is a vaguely historical show but the representation of black people there is of idiots you know just mm. gab um gabbling I've, I've never seen it i've only listened to it um but just this whole it's, it's not a really terribly flattering representation it might be period accurate um from that to this is now the pilot of the TARDIS. So Jamaica is now the pilot of the TARDIS. Is mm. well, I mentioned earlier on that we, you know, that human beings live in the conceit that um, our last time, lifetimes are vast. They're very, very short. But to see the amount of progress made on this matter um, in the last sixty years is, if not inspiring, then very, very, very encouraging. This is, you know, and let's not forget look, the the number of um, the percentage of coloured people in the United Kingdom is something in the region of twelve percent. Um, you know, it's it's that you know, these are these are the um, demographic facts. But again, to place to to see that um, the representation of these individuals has moved beyond um, just light relief or some sort of token walk on to you are now the show. Yeah, yeah, this is mm. it's, this is all built around you. It's it's, it's huge. Um, similarly, I mean, it's, it's not as if um, I, I I did hear a story that the Canadians haven't yet seen the Talons of Wang Chang, or it's, it's not been broadcast there <laughs> um, because they they come from a place where the first they, the Canadians call these first names call call their original set their original people the First Nations. It's exactly the right phrase to use, um, and they are very sensitive to issues of race and. I think it's important to maybe think about what, when we say race, what do we mean race? Um, it's really in, in the minds of most people, when you say race, it's like, okay, black, white. And that's kind of it. Then you, you know, there might be Chinese, there might be Indian, but it's basically a black and white thing, it seems. 
um if you think of mixed race you think of um someone with a with a parent of african descent and a parent of european descent there's our mixed you know there's our understanding of mixed race and that term itself is offensive to many so i so i apologize if that's offensive to anyone listening but i'm mixed race because my mum comes from um the an island in the indian ocean my dad comes from west africa it's just that they're both black but i'm still mixed race um, in the same way that someone, you yourself, might, I, I don't know, but you you could you have a French mum and a German dad, and you would be mixed race, but you'd still be white before you else. <laughs> you see what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, but but yeah, my point being that race itself as a concept is has been acknowledged for, for well over 30 years by now um, as a really blunt tool, which does not in any way represent the, enti- the diversity of humanity. Um, well, uh- and and if we wanted to, we could say that those people that chased Peter Davison, privileged, privileged mm. white actor Peter Davison off uh, Twitter, might uh, uh, be ignoring the fact that his father is Guyanese, and oh, Peter Davison <laughs> himself is mixed, mixed race. He just doesn't, in inverted commas, look, look it, it mm. which is which is you know fascinating. And so I'm gonna because I gave him a, a lengthy monologue using um, the word I a lot, but again a reminder. I am often adopting a, a position in order to present a contrary one or just one that, that mixes up the argument a little bit. Mm. Um, but that does open something up interesting uh, uh, from from the other side of the argument I put about um, mm. Marco Polo is when we get to the Daleks master plan. Um, mm. Oh, uh, good Lord, I, Kevin Stoney. Well, there's, there's two things. I mean, I would hold my hands up to probably having double standards as a, as a, you know, somebody very liberal who thinks that, you know, we should cast authentically and all that sort of thing. I wouldn't want to lose Kevin Stone's performance just because it's so good. But that's that's on a that's on a very personal aesthetic, you know, mm. perf- judging a, a performance just completely um, on its own, divorced of any context. Mm. But the intellectual. Uh, and the person having this discussion with me goes, I should be more uneasy about that for other reasons other than just the quality of a, a, a marvellous actor. And perhaps there's part of me that doesn't want to sully that actor's re- reputation in history because of the mm. ramifications of his casting in that particular role. The mm. other side of it, and this ties in with uh, the, the, the issues of disability that I've discussed, I've actually just put in another podcast about when I talk to my partner, who's not sure about whether disabled actors should be cast as visibly disabled parts or whether it's better, as sometimes happened in the old days, where disabled actors would be casted, cast in a seating position um, hmm. And it would therefore be hiding the disability because in the Daleks master plan, you have the first and most prominent actor of colour playing uh, a speaking role in Doctor Who. And that is Julian Cherrier, who plays Zephon. You can't tell he's an actor of colour because he's got seaweed for a face. Now, is Doctor Who going, but we're giving an actor of colour a prominent speaking role. This is a good thing. This is progressive. But you're hiding that that the fact that he is an actor of colour behind a, a, a seaweed carapace, and in the same episode you've got a you've you've got an actor who's essentially wearing yellow face. It's it's complicated, yeah. Tom. It is complicated, right? And that, oh, wow, there's a line from um, La Ruelle de Jeu, um, the Rules of the Game by Jean Renoir, and it says the most terrible thing about people 
is that everyone has their reasons. So, you know, <laughs> we have to, you know, people do things for reasons that make perfect sense to them. But we, but we can get partway there. So, all right, it's 19, no, Dalek's master plan, so 1965, 60, 66? Both. Okay. Well done, Tom. <laughs> and we are at the BBC. We are fighting our way out of a corner. We have no budget, and we've got to get this 12-part show made like that. Um, we've got very little resources, and we so we need people that can act, learn a script, on, get the script on Monday, learn it and rehearse it, and record it on the Friday for the sake of argument. What is available to us? That what skill? Who has these skills that are available to us? Thing one. Now, of these people who are available to us, how many of them are black? Oh, good lord! Very, very few of them. What do we now do? Because we can't not do the show because we can't find a black actor. We have to, um, or a black actress, we have to somehow be presenting this picture of the future. And to be honest with you, it's more about, you know, my concern with um, Mavic Chen is that he's he's just he's a bit like Spock in that respect, which is to say he represents this kind of fear of Orientalism um, and, the, and, the, and the progress of that and how it's and how, well, let's get let's be clear. Mavic Chen wants to blow up the universe. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he's not particular. Uh, you know, he's, he's, the, he's the antagonist in the show. Um so I'm more concerned about why did he have to be, why did he have to be Oriental? Why couldn't he have been from Birmingham or something? <laughs> um, but the reality of this is, we need good actors who are skilled and experienced very quickly. Where are they? And in a country where there are 12% black people, then acting, as again I'm sure you know, is not necessarily an option for people who come from different demographics. You need to be, you need to have access to money. Um, and deter- and a certain amount of determination in order to be able to keep going at this because the money's so terrible uh, and the opportunities are so few and far between and the, and the entire profession is ho- is hopelessly overcrowded. Um, I remember um, being doing doing a careers talk or more actively being given a careers book to read, um, and I looked up acting and it said acting is by acting like music is one of the most overcrowded professions in the world. Um, and so and I, I'm thinking, okay, well that's as much warning as I need for that. Um, and so when you do find uh, an experience, certainly in, 19, in 1965 and 1966, to find an experienced black television actor would have been, I would say, okay, I don't know because I wasn't there, but I'm guessing it was difficult because television as a medium that doesn't exist that long. The skills, the skills necessary to operate with a camera in this, in, this, in this small environment are things that people had to learn very quickly. We look at the, uh, we look at the, first, range, uh, the first wave of television actors. They come from the theatre. Um, you know, they come from... Uh, a long established or at least uh, yeah a very well established theor- theatrical tradition which means they can adapt to television this is not necessarily something that actors of color had access to um you know it's it, 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 is that appropriate is it is it is it um it, it, is it uh, a pleasant thing to, to have to acknowledge no it's not but um, but what we do see over time is that we see that more um, people have uh, of color have that opportunity and Almost by process of, of osmosis, um, we see suddenly that okay, suddenly there are more people with more roles being more prominent. It's a it's a slow thing. Um, I'm not a huge Star Trek fan, but I see a similar thing happening there. And you know, I think I, I didn't realise I've been I've been quoting you all of these years, um, which is to say, okay, Star Trek by the generation above me, so my parents' generation, was held up as being um, something which they 
really appreciated on many levels, but mostly because there were people of different nations all working together. There was, um, you know, there was uh, the mice in the Shell Nichols, there was um, uh, Walter Koenig and, uh, and um, George Takei. All of all of this is going on. But I think, and so we can celebrate it on that respect, on that level. But I think in in, in um, you, you you explained it to me that yeah, you can take that view, or it could be that the white guy right, the white guy's in charge, um, the the woman of color is answering the phone, and the Japanese fella and the Russian fella are driving the car. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but but again, it has to you know, it, it to me it's it's well, this is it. We have to think about when they are and what they're doing. Um, so it seems to me that the work that Doctor Who is doing behind the cameras, as well as on screen, is at least as good as, if not better, than a lot of the cultural landscape at that time. Um, it does require a little bit of digging and a bit of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, a certain amount of, um, I won't say concentration, but contemplation to see it for what it is. Um, is it, the, you know, is it, is it, the same as having an all-black cast, no. But you, it would have been very difficult to do that. And even when I think of uh, all-black casts in shows that are easily accessible on this in, in this particular type of television, they're very late. They, you know, they turn up in the eighties and the nineties and the two, and the early two thousands in any meaningful force. Because before that, you've got things like Mind Your Language, which is entirely about um, stereotypes. But I, and again, you you'll be able to tell me this. But the the, the character who played the um, I think the Chinese character in Mind Your Language also played the Chinese spy in one of the Pertwee episodes. I can't remember which one it is. Oh, well, yes, uh, it's uh, The Mind of Evil. Mind of Evil, thank you. So, yeah, so that person turns... So, so in stories which are... Okay, not stories, but in in productions which are 10 years apart, that person was still being made to play, unfortunately, a stereotype. Mm. Now, looking at the 60s, I mean, when you talk about star trek doctor who tries it in the wheel in space for example the moon base as well to have you know the, the whole mm. multicultural crew thing which was a sort of 60s shorthand for going we're going to imagine a future that is a bit better than ours and indeed the director of the wheel in space yeah. tristan de Cole, changed some of the characters to make them um different ethnicities so i think harry casali becomes enrico mm. casali but he casts donald sumter and puts you know olive makeup on him he's, he's he's italian he's not he's not he's not blacking up he's mediterranean up if you like but it also but but obviously the intent there we would say is laudable but it also gives way to the actor peter laird who uh told a colleague of mine many years ago oh yes i played a lot of chinese in those days uh to give you know a performance now that should it turn up i think would probably be the most offensive to modern eyes because it's it's closer to mickey rooney than probably anything certainly anything you get in in marco polo but it came from a laudable intent of going well we're going to try and have a multi multi cultural crew um <laughs> but we have to be careful don't we about how we look at history because in order to get this right we have to be honest and 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 i move to observe that very recently there was a round of applause given to the statement that it was inexcusable um, casting Caucasian actors in The Abominable Snowmen which can be read I think as a slur on the director of the time saying he was indulging in um, you know lazy uh, racism which I think is a uh, an accusation dangerous to waft around against somebody that has no right of reply but also um, I have the Mm. 
edition of Spotlight closest to the production of The Abominable Snowmen in my house. And I've spent Excellent. this morning looking through it. And I mean, I don't think there were any Tibetan actors, as far as I'm aware. Um, taking away the fact that it took me all day to go through it, which you did, which frankly productions didn't have it's laborious but there's no computers there's no cross-referencing you tended to use agents that you knew were reliable who had actors who could do the job irrespective of sometimes yep. what they look like but also looking at this um yep. uh, uh, of the 600 and i just looked through one edition a to a to a to l the first half um uh 1662 actors in that edition of spotlight uh and no. I think now it's it's a very difficult uh, thing to say, but uh, actors of colour. So I'm talking about different different nationalities now. Uh, Thirty eight, but those I would confidently say were black wow. actors. Say now I was looking for a black actor in 1968. Mm. Out of those 662 actors in that edition of Spotlight, uh, 24 are black actors. That's 1.4 percent. Right. Now, so that's the acting profession is, but actually, in terms of represent, if we talk about representation, that is not actually a bad representation mm. of Great Britain at that time in terms of the ethnic makeup of the whole country. This is the point, you know, and this is the point I made earlier on. You know, the the, the uh, yeah, the, the the black the black population is something around around twelve percent at this point. Um, so you know, if, if we do it statistically, that would be right. Um, if we think about the average person's experience in nineteen, well, again, it depends on where you live, doesn't it? I mean, if if you live in Pittsmore, if you live in Chapeltown, or you live in Liverpool, um, then you're you are more likely to see a, a person of colour in those areas because historically, that's where you know those those communities are where they wind up. Um, so, I mean, maybe Bradford as well, textile areas. But if you live in Midsummer, for example, um, then okay, the chances that you're going to see a black person are very, very low. And so, any opportunity to um, to cut to to give weight to the counter narrative mm. of othering is to be welcome. You know, it, in to my mind, is to be welcomed. Um, you know, you mentioned that I don't, I don't want to go backward, but you know, but you mentioned that you you know when you were growing up, you didn't you weren't that aware of a black presence in uh, in, in in your in your community. Um, and that's similarly mine. I sound like this because I had the the the, um, yeah, like the, the benefit of, of a certain type of education. But if you look at the school the school photographs from when I was at school, um, there's, there'll be something like six hundred and fifty boys, and it's where's Tom? There, it's just immediately <laughs> there he is. Um, as I get as I go up through the school, um, there are more and more people of colour in the years below me. Um, but Again, it's it's always going to be a work in progress. So okay, so so maybe the argument that's being made there is okay. Well, it's it is a very white show in its early days, but then it's a very white country in its early days. Yes, that's that's all very true. Um, the BBC was you know, at that point it's a very white organisation, but it does the most dangerous thing that art can do, which is it foments change. It begins to provide alternative identities, or more, if not alternative identities, it starts to provide visibility of black people. And if Star Trek is thinking about the 30th century, whenever it is, or 25th century, and here's Nichelle Nichols, and she's a communications specialist, if we're getting to, if when we're looking at the 10th planet, it's 1986, and there's a black astronaut. Beautiful. They nearly they got they got it nearly right. 
I mean, what would be wonderful would be to see if Doctor Who ever talked about a black president, which I don't think they did, but um, yeah. <laughs> that would be good too. I think you're fine. 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 Tom wanted me to point out, uh, so he thinks you'll find, that he thinks he said that black people are 11 to 12% of the UK population. Uh, that's incorrect, he tells me. Uh, 11 to 12% is the percentage of non-white people in the UK. Black people, i.e. black like me, says Tom, are closer to 1 to 2% of the total population. But look, I'm not going to go through all of the podcaster chop stuff like that out. I want this to have the flow of the conversation that it was. It's not a scientific analysis, this. It's a sprawling chat of thought and insight and postulation. And it's also a conversation of so much that could have been said, but wasn't. Uh, Jamaica, well, if he's a stereotype, he's not the only one. Pike is as well. The Smugglers is, is chock-a-block with stereotypes, as it is something of a pastiche. But then Jamaica being a stereotype, is that different? And if so, how and why? Captain Chin Lee in The Mind of Evil. Yeah, stereotype, well, maybe, but one written by the husband of the actress who played her. So he hardly had racist intent. He married her. We didn't. We don't address those thoughts that I've just come up with there in the next episode. They're all left hanging. That's the nature of these conversations. As I say, it was a discussion. And despite my promise not to say too much, I note that my Marco Polo monologue does go on forever. But there are arguments and contextualizations and qualifications that need chipping in when discussing this stuff. And probably, on my part for sure, a few elongated stutters where I try to express things in a way that can't be misinterpreted. And I suppose I'm keen to address my observation that a lot of modern commentators seem to want to scold others into empathy, which I think is a flawed plan. And so I felt the need to address suggestions of racism on behalf of people who aren't able to defend themselves from it in this conversation. Anyway, it's not over yet, this chat. It continues in the next episode when we consider the new series Attitude to Representation, as well as things like A Black Anne Boleyn and Colourblind Casting in the Theatre. I hope you'll find that it's all rather interesting. Thank you for listening to Indefinable Magic. Time and Race, Part 1. Part 2, a continuation of this conversation, will be out shortly. It was presented by me, Toby Haydoke, and my special guest is Professor Tom Atter, who can be found at Dr. T. Atter, A-T-T-A-H, on Twitter. The artwork for these podcasts is by Dylan Patterson, and the music of Indefinable Magic is a special composition, courtesy of Dominic Glynn. I'm very grateful to the patrons who make these podcasts possible, and they include Ruben Herfindahl, Stephen Moffat, Peter Burns, James Curé-Smith, Peter Harness, Ronald Hayden, Rob Leonard, Christopher Meredith, Richard Straw, Neil Tate, Nick Tedston, Tim Arding, David. David, you're anonymous, uh, but that's only because I only have your first name. I know what your surname is, but it didn't show when you registered, so I've erred on the side of caution. Nigel Bromley, Jenny at Blue Box 99, Paul Cook, 
Richard Chalk, Grant Davidson, John Deere, Chris Dunford Kelk, Paul Dunn, Jason Gorman, Siobhan Galichon, Chris Hyam, Ian Key, Joe Llewellyn, Ian K. McLachlan, Gavin McLean, Philip Marsh, Nathan Martin, Roland Moore, Kevin Murdoch, Graham Knott, Adam Parker, Barry Platt, Risto Matti Sorillo, Frank Shales, and David Tradier. If you would like to become a patron, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock. You can also donate at ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock. That gives you no obligations. You're not tied into anything. Whereas you are a patron, although you can cancel at any time. And Patreon also gives you bonus materials, advanced releases and special access, which sounds fruitier than it is. Patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock is a way of supporting the stuff that I do and you do get bonuses as well. Everything is available at the lowest possible tier, which is £3 a month. Any tier has 10% taken off it if you sign up for a year in one go. But I also know that times are tough and you can support these without doing so financially by giving them five stars wherever you get your podcasts from and for saying nice things about them on social media. Please like and subscribe and spread the word. If you have any comments about this particular podcast, I probably won't indulging in back and forths on Twitter because it can ruin your day. It can distract you too much. I'm trying to write a book. But I'm not immune to the idea that this requires further discussion. So you can email me, haydoketowers at gmail.com. And I might follow up either on my own or with Tom if this has prompted further thoughts. As ever, I would request that any feedback is sent with the understanding that there's a human being trying to do their best opening up that inbox and we speak to each other in a way that reflects that. Thank you.